On this week's episode of The Reclaim Leader, we talk with Pastor Jesse and some of the leadership lessons he learned while leading in a time of transition. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of the Reclaim Leader podcast, helping you to lead change without losing your roots. This is Jason Tucker, and with me is Jesse Skiffington, and we are excited to be here for, wow, episode four already. Can't believe it's amazing. it. amazing. Yeah, That's fun. right. I feel like we covered a lot of ground, but this has been so fun just getting to talk shop and um, hit the record button. I think it's actually been a really great excuse for us to keep connecting even more often than we were, which has been kind of cool. Now, in this episode, this is our second episode in a row where we don't have an outside guest because Jesse and I are kind of telling our leadership stories. And we're going to do this from from time to time. Mostly we'll have guests, but from time to time, Jesse and I will just kind of stop and kick around where we are in our own journey and what are some of the challenges that we're facing? What, where are the, or what are the mountains that we've already ascended? And where are the mountains yet to climb? And so we're going to do that today. So Jesse uh, has been pastor out at his church in Tacoma, Washington for how long now? How long have you been working eight, there? Eight and a half years. I eight and a half years. That's a nice season of leadership. Yeah, and I don't get to say I'm the new guy anymore. That worked for probably the first four <laughs> years, and it was a good excuse for a little bit. I don't know. I'm the new guy. So uh, that yeah, that's gone. And uh, But it's it's been a good amount of time to really get to know our community, our environment, some of the culture at the church. And um, so, yeah, I it is amazing to think, though, eight and a half years uh, time just goes it's like where to go. Yeah. We started our family here. We got a five and a seven year old now, and they're in kindergarten and second grade. So it's just a, uh, it's been a, our seasons of life have been moving along too. So, um, and yeah, you've had, and you've had very distinct seasons of leadership as well. So you, you got to your church and you were not the senior pastor and now you are. So that's right. Yeah. I, kind of a unique situation with that. Yeah. That doesn't happen all the time. In, in it fact, doesn't. it doesn't. It rarely yeah. happens, I would imagine, in a denominational church. Probably yeah. in um, non denom land, that's something that can happen a little, perhaps a little more ease. But mm-hmm. share with us, because I, I think your story is awesome and it really helps in whatever season of leadership you're in. I think you have a you have a bit of your story in those different seasons. So sure, why don't you share with sure. us? You know, you arrive on the scene at Marine View. Yeah. You are an associate pastor, That's right. full-time associate pastor, and your responsibility was um, youth ministry, or was it? No, I was actually working in disciple-making and small groups and mission. But you oversaw youth ministry, yeah. right? Yeah, you oversaw right? Um, I oversaw it. So we had a youth director and a children's director on staff. So we had staff in place for that, but they were my direct reports and um, that had some challenges in its own right. People who consider themselves ministry veterans, and here's this young guy from seminary coming in and, and managing them and providing oversight and accountability, which uh, went well in some cases and not well in other cases. But yeah, so that's how I started out as associate pastor here. And one of the things I, I really appreciated right out of the gate was 
the senior pastor I worked with uh, was 20 years into his role here at Marine View and had uh, kind of that, the gone through the, the, the ascendancy of a, of a new fresh vision in his early years that built to kind of a, a culminating really, uh, you know, from an attendance and participation and budget standpoint, kind of culminated in 2002 or three with, you know, the post 2001 surge and, and the purpose driven life model was something we used here. And so small groups are really important. And uh, so the church had gone through a, real, a season of growth and, and vitality. Uh, and then, uh, as the decade wore on and, and it was 2008-9 and when I was coming on board, the, the leadership team, the session here at Marine View had voted the week before I arrived to end the traditional service and go to two identical contemporary services. The week with, before you arrived. The week before I arrived. Okay, and, just... and so it's not my fault is what it comes down to. <laughs> but at the same time, they, they were going to bring in kind of a blended style. So some, uh, some hymns and, and things like that. Uh, so uh, we weren't really staffed for that, and, and there was so many things that just uh, – I can't wait to hear our next episode. We're going to hear about launching contemporary worship and how to do that well. And, uh, and I don't think that it went as well as it could have here for a variety of reasons. But So I was coming into an environment where that change was happening, and there was a lot of angst, and you know, there's bar room music in the church and all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, but being the new guy – I really felt like my job as a leader at that time was to lead well from the middle, uh, to be the guy that gets behind the senior leader and pushes from behind and encourages and is on board with and kind of has has his back as the senior leader. And I think, I don't know about you, if you're an associate pastor or if you're serving in a, in a, a role like a youth director role or, or a support role of some kind um, that's not the senior leadership position, the temptation is to go, well, my idea is better or... And it might be, it, frankly, it, it probably is. Um, or, you know, I wouldn't have done it that way. Or did start to get critical in your own heart about that leader. And I had to fight that quite a lot. Um, uh, the, the senior pastor here is an amazing guy, a visionary leader, but was also coming to the end of his career in ministry. He was tired. He'd been fighting the battle of change for decades, you know, 40 years of ministry, trying to help churches move forward. And he was just worn out. And so, um, you know, for that season, for four years, it was really getting behind him, supporting him. And I think the important thing that happened there when, when we spent enough time together and, and he really knew that I was on his side and I meant it, even if I didn't always agree and we would talk through things, of course, but that he began to trust me with more and more leadership, that I wasn't going to go into a conversation somewhere when he wasn't there and throw him under the bus or... Uh, participate in that, you know, he's tired, he's worn out, he needs to retire kind of nonsense. But to say, you know what? No, we're not, we're not going to go into that. And so um, I was given permission to lead in a lot of settings early on. Um, one of the things I loved about working uh, with, uh, with uh, John was that we team preached. So he, he wanted me to learn how to preach and, and do it well. And so we would basically sit on two stools up front. We'd sh- trade off every other point. He would speak to the kind of church crowd. I would speak to the, quote, young adult family types in the room. And we tried it. So people got used to listening to me as a, as a, a speaker and a preacher. Took the pressure off. I, I only had to come up with, you know, a third or a half of a sermon that was already sort of outlined. And so I learned a lot from those experiences. Um, John gave me a lot of room to lead in team meetings and in our session even to get used to doing that. And so... Um, I have a lot to be thankful for, but I think it really started 
with being trustworthy as someone leading from the second chair and learning to lead from the middle and, and to be a support in that way and to, and to kind of learn that servant heart. So um, that was kind of that phase of leadership. And as we kind of went through that, about three years in is when in, in our particular denomination at the time, uh, there was a, kind of a time of upheaval, upheaval and people were clamoring and saying, you know, should we be in this denomination still or not? And our church was part of that conversation as many were. And so we began what was called the discernment process to discern whether our congregation should still be part of the denomination that we were in at the time or move into this new denomination that was starting to form. And so we were uh, diving into that conversation. And uh, again, uh, John gave me a lot of room to lead and to be a part of that conversation, to help shape the narrative of that conversation. And then he retired halfway through the process, right? <laughs> Understandably, it was time. It yeah. was time for him and he needed to. And so we uh, were halfway through this process of moving denominations and John retired and the congregation uh, asked the presbytery, uh, which is our, our governing body just above the church level, if I could serve as the interim or transitional pastor uh instead of bringing somebody in new. And the thinking was there that it was a familiar face that could help lead this time of transition uh, as hard as it was going to be for the congregation. And so um, they said yes by a narrow margin. <laughs> it wasn't there, so I, I don't know. But uh, So that's the word on the street. But So I had the opportunity to do that, and that was sort of that one phase was leading from the middle, and now there was kind of that new phase. And so um, that's what was coming next, you know. Yeah. That's great. So basically, you were Marshawn Lynch. The team was leaving Oakland, and you were the familiar face. It was going to make everybody happy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, sorry. Did I? I no pressure. You is, know. That's uh, right. Yeah, um, you Oakland Raider fans, man. You got issues. <laughs> yeah, it's a sickness. Um, but so so now, I had a question about you know leading your experience of leading from the middle, and now you go yeah. into this next phase of leadership. How did now? I understand it's a little different because the senior pastor who was with you was, it seems like, intentionally doing a handoff. And he was trying to, yeah. And that won't be the case, obviously, for you as you're kind of right in the thick of it now. But how did the experience of being led while in the middle, the way that your pastor did, inform how you now are leading from the top? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think two kind of two key phrases that uh, John said quite a lot that uh, I appreciated. He said, uh, this is my the idea that I have, but I'm not married to it. So in other words, change my mind, participate in the conversation. Uh, if this isn't the right idea for us, I'm, that's okay. My main objective is for us to succeed at this or for it to go well or for the mission to be accomplished or whatever words you'd use. So I think um, not having to win every time and have it be your idea every time is something I learned from him. That was super valuable. And now immediate, I mean, uh, Jim Mead a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago, um, he said uh, uh, something about giving the work back to the right people. And as leaders, sometimes I think the temptation is to take all the work and all the decisions on ourselves and we're robbing others of the opportunities to lead or to grow or whatever. So um, I really learned from John to, to give the work back or to at least be open to somebody else's ideas. And, and that was huge for me. Let's just, let's just camp out on that idea just for a yeah. minute because I think, I think, well, this is true for myself, that sometimes I mistake 
leadership as I'm the one making the leadership decisions. When sometimes the best leadership is handing the leadership decisions off to other leaders. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think this was about the time and I might have my dates a little bit mixed up when either I went to a catalyst one day with Andy Stanley or you and I went to drive down in Atlanta at at their campus down there. I think it might've been the catalyst one day conference here in, um, in the Seattle area. And Andy Stanley said he, he was reflecting on a conversation he'd had with Bill Hybels uh, when he was a young leader. And basically, he, say, he said, the temptation was for me to talk the whole time. And <laughs> somehow he restrained himself, right? And, and then he said, uh, you know, what's one thing you could tell me that you think would be helpful for me as a young leader? And Bill Hybels gave him the question that's shaped lots of other questions for Andy Stanley, I think. And then also for me, and I think probably for you too, Jason, maybe for some of you out there listening, but he said, what, you know, when you're facing a big decision or a big opportunity and you're overwhelmed by it, he said, ask this question, what would a great leader do? Kind of takes the pressure off of you. So if Bill Hybels was in this room, what would Bill do? Yeah. What would Andy Stanley do? What would Jason do? Not what would Jesse do? And then he said, then eventually kind of changed the conversation to, If I were a great leader, what would I do? Kind of gives you the courage to step up and do something that maybe is harder or have a hard conversation. So um, that was part of that. And I think what a great leader does a lot of the time is say, hey, it's a great question. You decide. What do you think? Um, Give me three ideas and let's talk through them. Instead of going, "I, I feel the pressure to be the one to come up with the idea, decide on it and execute it all at once. And that's, that's not leadership. Right. You know. It's like we so, already we already have a savior. Like we're good. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. We don't so, need to be we don't need to be yeah. the savior. We we need so, to be a leader. In my experience is some of our best ideas, I've had a hand in shaping. I'm creative. I love to be innovative and think and dream. But the beginning points of lots of those ideas or or the actually uh, f- fleshing it out and making it something real. That's the work that other people did. And if I was hogging that or holding on to that for myself, I think we would have missed out on a lot of opportunities. Someday we'll get into the, um, maybe even today later on, but we, we started a new uh, form of worship or you know way of gathering on Sundays that we call our rolling Sunday model. And we'll talk more about that. But that was the culmination of a lot of my thinking, praying, discerning, and some really creative, careful thinking from a lot of other people and doing it all together. So um Anyway, so yeah, that's another thing that I learned along the way. And, uh, uh, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, a couple and, things. and the, the Rolling Sunday uh, thing is one of the most innovative things that I've seen, uh, truly. And it's not just because we're friends and doing a podcast together. I mean, I mean it was truly a, a very creative and um, I, I think bold attempt at meeting people where they are. That's right. Yeah. And thinking, thinking of the people who aren't in your church um, and not just so concerned about who, who are we trying to keep, but rather who are we trying to reach. And, and I feel like that was – and now this is part – this is actually in line with the next part of your story. You get into sure. this transitional leader – which is yeah. sort of a funny title, you know. It's a yeah. uh, the interim temporary transitional. <laughs> right. Pay no attention. The guy that to won't this be man. here forever. Yeah, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we're not making any promises, leader. That's right, for um, sure. But but it was actually during that time that you had this really uh, 
kind of a, amazing idea that That's right, has yeah. really taken off. So why don't we, you know, share yeah, a little bit about, into that. about sure. that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. So that, that, that interim phase, you know, early on, it was dominated by the discernment process. We had to get through that and, uh, we ended up moving to this new denomination and, uh, there was a lot of energy behind that right out of the gates. Um, it caused some people to walk away, which is understandable. And, you know, it was, uh, one of those things that it gives somebody something to decide about, about your church. So when your senior pastor retires, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 15% turnover because people go, is this still the church for me? It's not negative. It's just the way it is. And and that's fine. Uh, do I, am I really going to listen to this young guy, you know, now or whatever? It's fine. Um, and then the discernment process as we moved, it was another decision point for people. Uh, is this still the congregation for me? Is this still the place I feel called to be? So we had folks uh, coming and going related to that. And, uh, but we, right out of the gate, as we moved into the new denomination, we used it as an opportunity to uh, draft a new vision mission statement, went through um, not a super in-depth uh, uh, consulting sort of mission vision time, but we did some, we brought in some outside voices. That's when uh, we hired Jim Mead, who is so overqualified for the position. <laughs> Go back and listen to his episode if you want to hear more. But He's awesome. He came on board as a as a kind of ministry veteran that wanted to help a young guy out and cares about the local church, and he wanted to get behind us. Uh, and I had known him for some time. And so he came in and kind of served as an in-house consultant as we went along. But right out of the gate, we we created some vision and mission, and our, our vision statement was the, uh, you know, just very simple, be a flourishing church that makes disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, that that's where we're heading. We want to be vital in the world. And that connected us to our new denominational setting. And then our mission was, you know, essentially, um, we want to create environments where people are mobilized to go deeper with Jesus and reach wider with his love one step at a time. And so we created a lot of permission. If you're not sure about Jesus yet, we're glad you're here. Uh, this is a great place to wrestle and grow. Nobody's going to look down on you. I judge you. We just want to help you answer that question. We think, who is Jesus? What does Jesus mean for my life is the most important question you can ask and begin to answer. And it's the one we never get done asking and answering throughout our life. And so we, um, we worked on that. One of the things that we needed to do right out of the way uh, was not only have a vision and a mission, but then have some concrete things in our life that moved us toward. And so that creating environments piece, I mean, Jason, you and I talked a lot about the importance of the physical environment. So not only relationships and permission and the content that you present, the words you use, but the physical space, what is that like? And our church, you know, like a lot of churches, uh, been here since 1954, yours is a lot older than that, even uh, out there on the East Coast. But it was, you know, there's things that were well taken care of, other parts that were run down, kind of a hodgepodge of construction over the years. And uh, so we uh, said, you know, we need to work on these environments, especially for our youth and children. And so we... uh, uh, about, I don't know, a month and a half after we uh, launched into this new denomination, we did a, uh, a vision and legacy Sunday where we said, uh, we, we want to raise funds to fix up our building, make it a great environment for, for the future of our ministry. And uh, we need to also leave a legacy with the denomination we're leaving. And so we were raising funds for both of those things. And we said, okay, we're going to pick one Sunday and however much comes in on that Sunday, that's the number. That's what it is. And we set a goal that seemed absurd to us, but it was three. We said we want to have three hundred fifty thousand dollars given on that one Sunday. And our average, you know, weekly, you know, offering is you know twenty five thousand or I mean, whatever it is. Or you know, it's, it's like not not anywhere in the ballpark. So um, we said 
in order for that to happen, we, you know, we kind of worked the phones and got people excited and paid in a vision, walked people around campus, showed them. And uh, uh, that Sunday came along. I remember people coming forward. And I'm just, it's one of those moments as a pastor where it's pretty emotional to see people getting excited about the vision, coming forward with their commitments and things. And uh, I remember, and if you have a church treasurer, uh, you know, they're pretty, usually pretty stoic and not very emotional and all that kind of stuff, very pragmatic. And later in the morning, I remember Jerry running down the stairs from the church office into the church building and comes up and gives me a huge hug. And I'm like, <laughs> what is happening right now? The treasurer and, uh, hugged me. The treasurer hugged me. Something's either really good or really bad. I don't know. So, but it turns out we you raised something like four hundred and twenty thousand dollars on that day. And wow. you know, so the point is, it's not the numbers, right? Um, that is amazing, and thank you, God, and thank you, everybody, for for believing and getting on board. But it allowed us to begin to do something and to really get concrete about our vision and mission, and to build out our facilities to make them more useful for our community, for our life together. And so we've seen a lot of fruit come out of that. And I think the Rolling Sunday is one of the ideas that came out of that, uh, uh, revamping our building, revamping our AV. We have a couple of, of, of facilities where that needed repair, and we, we fixed them up. And so now, today, we have uh, not only our congregation, but a Guatemalan congregation, a Chinese Baptist congregation, and a Korean congregation that all worship in our facility uh, during Sundays and throughout the week. Uh, we have you know That's Boy awesome. Scouts and Girl Scouts and community groups and HOAs and you name it and the list goes on that are here in our facility because we we invested in it and that was kind of the unexpected outcome as now we're our reach has has grown um, so that I, I think what what allowed a lot of those things to happen to bring it back to your question was a phrase that I don't remember if if Jim and I came up with this or if I just if it just kind of popped out one time and I kept using it. But it was uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to be here forever, but let's do the kinds of things that would set the next person up for success. Whoever the next pastor is, let's do the stuff now that would make their life better and easier down the road. And that phrase kind of caught on. And instead of our transitional time being a time where you kind of hold on for dear life, and hope that the wheels don't completely fall off, and hope the giving stays strong, and hope that people don't leave. We just went for it. And we said, we want to become the church that a really great leader would want to come and be a oh, part of. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so that's what we started to do. And it, it gave us so much freedom to try things, to risk things, and uh, to go for it. And, it, you know, there were some really hard conversations. We, um, I had to, you know, let the bell choir know that they, the way that things were going in our life, there wasn't going to be a lot of room for that. Um, it's not because they don't matter, but there was kind of some unhealthy things there. And so I had a couple of really hard conversations. They ended up sort of quitting and throwing up their hands and saying, you know, you hate us and you're not a good Christian or whatever it was. And it was really kind of hard things and had some hard conversations with our choir and, and all those things. But it was about us saying, okay, how do we be vital, not for the next five years or 10 years or 20 years, but for the next 50 and bear fruit for the kingdom and be a part of what God is doing in our community. And so that, there was just a lot of freedom in that, even in the hard decisions. And um, there's a lot of scars personally that came out of that time for me with some personnel decisions that needed to be made that hadn't been. Um, we were kind of, It's one of those things that happens when somebody's getting near retirement. You just don't do tons of substantive change because it's just it's not the time for it. So there was a couple of staff changes that we made early on when I was, a, you know, as the transitional pastor that were hard um, that 
you know, yeah, personnel things are just difficult. So, um, but but you also, yeah. I mean, you weren't playing, you weren't playing a uh, a cup game. You know, where's where's the ball under which with the congregation? You truly didn't yeah. know if you were going to stay. That's and, right. And yeah. so when you, when you were saying, hey, let's set this up for the next person, whoever it That's is. Right. I mean, that was sincere. I remember we had some conversations absolutely. during that time. Yeah. You're like, absolutely. I'm not sure. I'm not sure well, what's going to happen. And frankly, yeah, and, and and truthfully, what I and the other part I would encourage you just be upfront with your congregation too. I said, I'm. I know we're all discerning about, and we started to get to the senior pastor search stuff. I know you're discerning about who God is calling to lead in your midst, and you need to know this. My wife Callie and I, our family, we're discerning as well, and we're trying to figure out what God, what do you want from us? Should we? You want us to stay? Do you want us to be part of this here for a number of more years? Or is it time for us to go and do something else, make space for somebody else to lead here? And so that was sort of an, like, oh, wait a minute, you might not stay? And that was one of those. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, so let's do everything we can right now to set whoever's up next for success. And I knew that if we were doing that and it did end up being me and God said, you know, stay and the congregation said stay, and that we would be in, we would be way further down the road uh, than we would be if we just sat and kind of waited it out to see what would happen. So that's kind of those, some of the lessons we learned in that season. Um, and right toward the, Oh, go ahead. So I was oh, going to say, speak to the rolling Sunday piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear you. I'm excited <laughs> for our listeners to hear, um, what a rolling Sunday is. That's right. Well, I'll share what that, that looks guess, like. Yeah. We've been teasing them with it. I guess yeah. I'll share it. I would say this, I will uh, dig up. We, we had a link on our website to a message I gave describing it to the congregation and kind of painting the really clear vision, the questions that led us to it and really going in depth on it. So if you're interested, you want to just hear that, you know, it's about 15 or 20 minutes of content. Um, we'll, we'll post that for you. Uh, but uh, the short version is that we were, um, uh, really wrestling with how do we gather for worship on a Sunday morning when we have multiple generations that their worship language when it comes to music is pretty varied. Uh, and we have a desire not to become three different congregations if we go to three different worship services. And even in our two worship service model, we had two distinct congregations uh, that didn't mix or mingle much. There was a half an hour in between People wanted, you know, one of the, you know, bring back to Sunday school hour. We don't have any education. So how do we provide space for groups, for intergenerational community, for a variety of worship music that doesn't default to the blended thing that nobody likes, as we've talked about? How do we accomplish all of that in the way that we gather together? And we, so we were wrestling with it. I remember distinctly, it was our uh, April uh, session meeting a couple years ago, and we didn't have quorum. Which, you know, if you're not Presbyterian, quorum's a big deal for us. We got to have the right amount of people in the room to make decisions. So it's half plus one. And we had half. Uh, a pipe had burst in the main building. So our one of our elders was helping with that. A couple of people were sick. One person was out of town. So we couldn't have an actual meeting. And I had been thinking about this, talking about it with our, our worship music and creative director. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And some other folks in leadership. And I said, you know what? We can't have an official meeting, but I just, I just want to share this idea with you. Tell me what you think about it. And it was the people in the room that would be most likely to say no. That's the, the, the folks that were there that night. And I just kind of shared, you know, here's what's going on. We want to be intergenerational, but we think it's important to worship in the sort of music environment that speaks most to your heart. We think we can be gathered together for a sermon intergenerationally because God word, God's word applies to all of us. 
And we think that education needs to fit in somehow, but we know Sunday school hour stuff doesn't work anymore. It's disruptive. And the the key time for worship is 10 o'clock. That's when people want to come, not go to, you know, so we're not going to sacrifice that hour for the 50 people that want to come to Sunday school or whatever. So we were kind of debating through all that. And so this is the model we came up with. We just said, what if we broke our morning into about 30 minute segments with a 10 minute break in between? And so on a Sunday morning, we start at nine o'clock and we have about a half an hour of music. It's about 25 minutes in real time. We welcome people. We uh, pray together. We sing worship songs. And at nine o'clock, it's more baby boomer style contemporary. There'll be a hymn mixed in uh, that's, you know, with a band. Uh, we uh, offer, you know, we'll go back to creating me a clean heart sometimes. Shine, Jesus, shine is still banned. We, that's ah, I was going to say, don't you yeah, dare, Jesse. No, no, no. Don't no. you but, dare. You know, so, you know, little Michael W. Smith creeps in, but David Crowder shows up too. Chris Tomlin, you know, coming back to the heart of worship, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of where we land. And every once in a while, we'll bring something really contemporary in if it really speaks to us. There's a great song called He is Jesus. Such a solid song. So we brought some of that stuff in. But that's kind of targeted toward that 55 to 70 something kind of congregation. And so, that's what we do there. So we do that for about 25 minutes. Then we take a 10-minute fellowship break. And we think our relationships with each other are as important as the songs we sing and the sermons we hear. Uh, and I say that again and again. It, your relationship with each other are as important uh, as the songs we sing and the words you'll hear in the message. And we mean it. We think our community matters. So this 10-minute break allows us uh, what we call to get past the first question and experience the power of the second question. So if you're like me, Jason, in the 30-second greeting time in a typical worship service, you kind of say, hey, how's it going? Great. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. And that's the end of the conversation, right? Or it's something like, uh, you know, praying for your brother next, move on. Yeah, whatever it is, those little phrases we say as Christians. And we said, you know what? That's 30 seconds is not enough. So we carved out 10, 10 minutes. We say, hey, listen, during these 10 minutes, um, we'd love for you to get to know each other. Grab a cup of coffee. Run to the bathroom if you need to. If you just want to sit in, this, in the pew and read your bulletin because you're an introvert and it's too scary to talk to people, that's cool <laughs> with us. That's good. You know, do what you got to do. But we think relationships matter. And what we, what the idea was, instead of people coming out of service and turning right and heading to their cars, they'd have 10 minutes where there's nothing for them to do but stand around and talk to other people. And they wouldn't be heading anywhere. And their kids would be somewhere in Sunday school or somewhere. So they're not pulling on their sleeves or managing their children or their grandkids. And so we noticed right away as we implemented it that people were moving past the first question to a second, third, fourth question. It's amazing how deep of a conversation you can have in 10 minutes. Uh, On a typical Sunday, I I experience at least three, sometimes four conversations that I would consider substantive. It's short, but it's I get to check in with somebody about what's going on in their lives. So we had, uh, so we said 25-ish minutes for worship, 10 minutes for fellowship, and then we come back for a 30-minute message, and uh, some people start their morning with the sermon. So we have people that came to the music time that are sticking around to hear the message, and then we have some people that were starting their morning with the sermon time. So we do that sermon time, 30 minutes, I, I preach and teach and, and all those things, and then we take another 10-minute break. We bring back our most contemporary music at 1015. Is, in our phrase is, this is as contemporary as we can make it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right, what right. we have. So we're doing our best. We're not saying, you know, this is, you know, the concert level or whatever. We do a pretty good job, but we, you know, you always got room to grow. But this is where we're going to target young families and teenagers and middle school and high school. Our target audience is 18, you know, and we think people are drawn to vitality. And so 
we go, go for it there and we do that for 25 minutes. Then we take another 10 minute break and then we bring back the message. It's the same message as before. Uh, preach for 30 minutes, take a 10 minute break. And then at the end of the morning, we do hymns for about 30 minutes. So we have a cello and a piano and we sing some of the great songs of the church for the folks that that's their worship language. They need to sing Be Thou My Vision and to sing the doxology sometimes and say the Apostles' Creed and all that stuff. So we we do three different music segments and only two messages. And the idea was that you could go to the music time that speaks most to your heart, connects your heart to God's heart, and then come to the message time with people that are not part of your same generation and intermingle with them. And so I love it. At 1050 during that message, we have our youngest people and our oldest people sitting there together for the sermon. And it's a powerful thing. And the goal was, wouldn't it be great if before the 1050 sermon, when we're doing our most contemporary music, there's a group of older people in the fellowship area having coffee and they have big smiles on their face, even though they hear the bass and the drums and it's this loud music. They're excited because there's young people in the church and they know that their hymns are coming later. And that as our young people are leaving the message and they're heading out to their days and they're picking up their kids and they hear the piano going and they hear the hymns being sung that they're excited, they're smiling because they go, I'm so glad there's a place for everybody here that we care about everybody from their first steps to their last steps and everyone in between. And so that's, I'm not saying that's the world changing solution, but that was our idea for how do we address the worship challenge and bring people together. So, well, I mean, I think the whole idea of rolling Sunday, I think is so innovative and you've given people permission to come and go. You've given them permission. You've actually, you've set it up. I remember when you were first talking about this, it, sure. it, everybody loves going to a conference. You, you feel a sense of yeah. expectation and excitement. Yeah. You're, you're about to learn something. You're about to get pumped up. And what if you could structure your Sunday morning like a conference? Right. You've, that, you have that. some affinity groups. Yeah. Uh, you get some large group content. You get some downtime with, with coffee and connecting with people. And I, I feel like it's this kind of entrepreneurial thinking, this kind of innovative thinking that especially the mainline church needs badly. Yeah. Uh, not just not just because, oh my goodness, you know, we're losing numbers or, or we're not growing as fast as we think we should. It's not that at all. It's are we making much of the gospel? Are That's we right. connecting people to Jesus Christ in a way That's that right. they can understand in their Absolutely. language? Yeah. And you know, one of, one of the things that happens often is, and I and I actually think, to be honest, people in my congregation would accuse me of, of being this very thing, and that is that we take the older generation and we say, so sorry, uh, we don't have really anything for you because it's all about getting getting the younger families in. And I understand why people in my church would probably feel that way. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're totally unjustified in saying sure. it either because we have yeah. taken a turn in that direction. But I think what you've created the possibility of speaking in different generational languages on a Sunday morning in a way that maximizes the, the times. Yeah. Uh, and I just love that flexibility. Somebody has a, a morning thing going on. This happens in our worship too. You know, somebody had a soccer game in the morning, so they came to later service or, um, I, I think this is so good. This is so yeah. good. Now it's been fun to live it out. Yeah, for sure. Now, now, I mean, fun, but I'm sure you had your moments of, oh, oh my oh, yeah. goodness, what have we, what have we done? What did we right? do? What have we done? <laughs> right. And so, um, this is just this is how we launch it. In, in if you do ever listen to that little message I gave to the congregation, it was kind of a vision Sunday, and I said, listen, this is just an idea. Okay, 
This is not the mission. The way we gather for worship is not the mission. It becomes the mission for a lot of churches, right? The, the yeah. things we do on Sunday become the mission. I said, no, 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 no. This is just how we get the good news of Jesus out to each other and to our world. And so it's a strategy. It might change, you know, if we're not married to it. But it's but it's been fun to live it out. And, <laughs> and it's had some bumps along the way. We tried um, breakout sessions for a while. Uh, it was sort of conference style. So you, the idea was that you go to a music and a message and then a 30-minute sort of TED Talk breakout session mixed success with that we had some good things and bad things about that and uh you know when do you do them and you know all that kind of thing um one unexpected outcome is there's a number of people that only come for the message and don't typically stay for music or they don't come early for music or stay after for music i, I don't know i hope they'll grow i think connecting our heart to to the lord in prayer and, and, and through song is 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 an important practice of a follower of jesus but that's kind of how they've chosen from where they are to participate. And so that was kind of unexpected. And then we see people who go to music, come to the message, come back for some more music, sing some more, you know? So, but for our young families in particular, it's created a lot of flexibility where if they can come for even just for a half an hour on a morning when they have a lot of games or something, um, that's great. Uh, there was a lot of logistics with our children's ministry, our youth ministry stuff. I can imagine that just came into my head about, yeah, the logistics around how. how you pull that off. Yeah, for sure. And we could get into that sometime. But there was, it, but what it did, Jason, more than anything, is it said there's nothing off limits for the sake of Christ's mission. Yeah, because what is the most off limits thing in a church? It's Sunday morning. Yeah, exactly. I remember saying something like, if I thought that wearing a robe would reach people for Jesus, I would do it. I, I don't think it does. So it's not mean it's bad. At one point, it probably did. It doesn't now. So we should do the things now that reach people for Jesus, including the way we gather on a Sunday. So um, you know, how do you argue with that? You know, I, even if you do argue with it, you're wrong, right? It just, can't, <laughs> how do you argue with reaching the last and helping people yeah. grow and connect? And so we started using phrases like, we're not here to play church or go through the motions. We're here to really live out our life as followers of Jesus. And if you're not sure about Jesus yet, we're glad you're here, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, so we've been living with it for a while. Um, it was uh, the reason for a number of people to get up and leave, uh, which is okay with me. Yeah. In other words, they were in this is, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, I'm not questioning their salvation or something, but I think that the way that we worship was more important than the one we worship sometimes, um, it, you know, to put just get fine point on it. But uh, so we saw some more transitions, some more folks leaving, but a ton of energy and a vitality around this this idea and the way we gathered and the relationships that were happening in between. And so we saw some organic groups start to form of people just saying, hey, let's get together and talk about the sermons after the message time. In those 10 minute slots of fellowship, we saw people starting to get to know each other more and sharing about life and knowing about what's going on in each other's lives. That um, So some really cool outcomes. Um, some of the bumps, of course, you know, you come along and somebody just lays into you about stuff and that's always hard. Um, as a preacher, it's hard to keep on time, right. you know, so you got 30 right. minutes, so you got to really dial it in and cause that 10 minutes matters a lot. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so we just, I think more than anything, it said, there's nothing off limits in our life for the sake of Christ's mission and tilling up that ground and saying, and it, so it helped us ask a lot of questions about our life together in a whole bunch of other areas. Because if, if Sunday morning isn't off limits, then we can have a conversation about anything else. And it felt so much safer, right? Yeah. The way yeah. we do mission, the way we do fellowship, the way we do pastoral care, the way we do children's or youth ministry, those are easy compared to how do we gather on a Sunday. So 
it kind of freed us up, I guess. That's so good. And I feel like, um, you know, it's about your willingness as a church to risk for the sake of the mission. And what does it really look like to risk, to really have some skin in the game and to, and to risk a whole lot of discomfort in an attempt to reach the lost, to keep reaching out to people who uh, need to hear the gospel and the the people who aren't there. Now, of course you are, you know, let's just, I I don't want to neglect, you're in a different stage of leadership now. Yeah, for sure. So you, you, you went out of the transitional mode and your church decided we, we want you, there was a whole process. There, there was a search team. You were not the only candidate and, you know, I know that that process was still a discernment time um, for you as well. But now right. you're on the other side of that. And that's right. you've been the senior pastor for how long now? Uh, a little over two years now. Or, uh, or are you cool and you say lead pastor? I don't Is that, know. Okay, yes, either one. <laughs> If I my like email lead address, pastor better, yeah. Yeah, lead pastor, I think, is kind of the terminology that we're, you yeah. know, professionally we're all using now. Um, senior pastor and head of staff is what's on my official job description, I think, or nice. whatever. But I think, uh, one, senior pastor, people look at you and go, really? Like, I look <laughs> I look young, right? And I am young, so, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, head of staff was really important. Uh, we can, we'll have another conversation about this some other time, but who does staff answer to? Right. And ultimately, I answer to our leadership team for the staff. They don't have two bosses. They don't have the leadership team and me. Right. I'm their supervisor. I answer for their behavior. I answer for their productivity and their whatever to the leadership team. And in, anyway, that's a whole other story. But uh, I think that, that that authority piece mattered a ton. To, so, to so how has – I know this is probably a bigger topic than we want to spend right now, sure. but – but you make the transition to senior or lead pastor. Yeah. What was what was your biggest challenge as you I mean to go from like you said leading in the middle yeah to leading in the in between yeah. to Which leading is really freeing and and you can kind of go for it. Right? Yeah. And now and now you know you're yeah. you're at the top of that food yeah. chain and That's right. All of a sudden, you're the one whose ideas are being criticized a little That's more, right. or yeah. you're wondering if yep. the the middle leaders under you are criticizing That's your right. leadership. Yep. You know what? But what was? What do you think? If you had to nail it down, and yeah. what do you think was the biggest challenge for you? Uh, you know, you know, we talked about this, but yeah, I think this has been the hardest one by far, probably because of the the weight of leadership is is different, maybe, um, and the permanency of it, or something. You know, like well, for better or worse. If this idea goes or doesn't go, it's coming back to me and to our team. And uh, the things we're doing is kind of a reflection of me. I think leaders go through all these identity kinds of things. You know, if people are coming, you know, that says something about me or all that kind of junk. But I think more than anything, I felt almost an immediate pull to start playing it safe. Like, I I don't know how else to describe it. I went from this environment of freedom and going for it and who knows and sort of the permission of, and we want to set somebody else up for success to being now the guy that we were setting it up for and going, Oh, wait a minute. You know, we're, we're trying lots of good, these things that might not work, (laughs) you know, like, wait a minute. Um, 
these people pay That's my awesome. paycheck. Like, um, what happens if giving goes down? What happens when yeah. attendance drops and they start to question my leadership? What happens when, and I remember distinctly when this happened, when I hear little murmurings off to the side that our pastor is not mature enough, he's not old enough, he's not spiritual enough, the same kinds of things I'd heard about John before, you know, he's past his prime, he's tired, he needs to move on. I was hearing him kind of on the other end now, the criticism to me of people who had been my backers before, kind of, and you're like, that's tough, man, leadership is is hard. And so um, I think that's the main thing. I, I felt my desire or my innate desire or sort of my pull or drive to take risks, it, it, it immediately sort of changed. And there was this status quo and stuff. It felt safer or better or how do we sort of stabilize things? And uh, so I, I've had to work through that, push through that and go, okay, no, we want to, I still want to be the kind of leader that says we're still setting it up for whoever's next the next generations, the next leaders, the next staff members, the next whatever, mm. and and stop thinking about what's at stake for you so much personally. Because um, we're all interims. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're we all are. interims, whether yeah. we're here for 20 years or two. So I think that I've had to work through that a little bit. Um, I also noticed that I've been running really, really, really hard as the transitional pastor. And we did a lot. We changed a lot. We navigated into a new denomination and launched a new way of worshiping and brought let go of some staff, brought in some new staff. So I was, as that became more permanent, I, I looked up and I was like, I'm, I'm tired. You know, I, I you know, you kind of only go on adrenaline for so long. Uh, that was the same time when Jim uh, officially retired completely. And I think he kind of felt like he was handing things off and which was great. Um, he had been awesome, but then my partner in crime was kind of gone. And he, so it was a rough first summer. I mean, mm-hmm. we had some of those conversations. It was kind of being like, what now? And, um, but we've in this last maybe year or so, we've really started to see some of the outcomes of the things we've invested in. And you start to see the light come on for people that relationships are a lot harder than programs to execute and implement and, and, and build your ministry around, but they're so much better. Yeah. And, and that less is sometimes more in ministry. And when we can focus our energy in the same direction together, man, look what can happen. And so um, I was sharing with this, this fall, we've sort of broken all of our children's and youth ministry attendance records. Not that it's only about the numbers, but we created an environment where we could grow and thrive in that area and those areas. And we're starting to see some of the outcomes of that. And uh, the type of staff that have been attracted or drawn to Marine View uh, has changed. And so we've gone from more from program kind of model staff to just really dynamic relational leader types. And, and, and so I think it's been encouraging to see, okay, some of the outcomes that we longed for are starting to happen. And it took you know, losing a third of our people to get there. Yeah. And it took some hard sleepless nights to get there. And boy, we're not even there yet. And man, is there a lot of work to still do? And what's the next challenge? And so I feel like I I, I feel like I've turned a corner as far as being at home in the in the senior leadership seat, if you will, and and starting to view myself in a in a way that says, no, you it's okay. You can be in that seat. Like it's fine. And, uh, I think getting sort of the credibility of our key leaders and, and, and buy-in now that they go, okay, you know, I, I think we, we all made a good decision together to keep, keep moving together for, for the foreseeable future. So, and I think, yeah. I think that's a message for 
you know, a lot of leaders out there who are new to senior pastor leadership or, or just, just a lot of leaders out there who are not too far removed from seminary or, or even those who have, are far removed from seminary but are feeling stuck that this whole thing takes time. Totally. And rarely are we patient enough to get right. over the hurdles. That's right. Because, you know, I just, I want growth. I want it now. I want to move the needle for the sake That's of the right. gospel. And and I've predetermined what that's supposed to look like and yeah. and wh- how long it's supposed to take. I remember this. Yeah, exactly right. I remember this. We were having some conversations and we were talking about, you know, growth and we're going to do this. And I remember this was me. I never said this out loud, but I was like, when I when I take the lead, we're going to immediately grow. Like I just had into my mind that I think we're going to grow. I think we're going to grow right away. I thought we maybe were ready. And and then I went to a conference, or not was in a conference, like a pastor's lunch. And, and this guy named Richard Dahlstrom, who's a cool guy, he works with this church called Bethany Community Church here in our area. But he said, uh, when I became the head of staff, God grew the church from 300 to 200. <laughs> and that's what needed to happen in order for our true growth, our roots, our depth, our the vitality of our mission to 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 go from there, and they you know they become a really large uh, multi site kind of deal. Um, not that that's our our goal necessarily, but I said, wow, I uh, yeah, that's hard. You got to slog <laughs> through. And then something Carrie knew um, said, um, and you you mentioned him earlier on about impact. What's it leader? Impact leaders. Impact? Uh, well, it's high impact leader, but high impact um, leaders. Yeah, yeah, he's got a team. Team edition as well. Team deal. So yeah. we, I remember us reading his little book, uh, Leading Change Without Losing It. And, and at one point in there, he says, he says, you'll be most tempted to quit right before your breakthrough happens. Yeah. And I, I, I remember that, that, that first little stretch as the senior leader, I was just like, what did I sign up for? Yeah. And is this Rolling Sunday thing going to work? And, and is it the right thing? Have I, just, have I destroyed this church for no reason other than just for the sake <laughs> of change? Uh, you know, um, are we going to make it, you know, all this. And we're starting to see, we're seeing young families coming, but our, some of our kind of key people, even we're walking away and it was just like, what is happening? So that's, that's hard. And so can we stick it out? And I think we're probably in year four ish of a seven year change cycle, culture change and shift. And it takes time and it takes leaders yeah. who are willing to, to stick with it and commit and, to believe enough in the vision and mission God has given us to, to see it through at least until God says, you know what? You tried your best. It's time to go or whatever, you know, yeah. but, um, or good job. Look what you did. Now somebody yeah. else's turn or whatever it is. So, um, that's a little of my journey. Um, hopefully there's something helpful in there for you. Well, that's, yeah, my, my biggest encouragement would be don't be afraid to risk for the sake of the gospel. Um, I'm amazed. In fact, um, I was sitting in my office just this last week. Our, our two new staff members are coming in. They're from Scotland. They're going to be working with our youth. And we only had one staff position for youth. But when we talked to them, our leadership team, we said, you know what? We love them both. They're a married couple. We should create another staff position so we can hire both of them. And I was just shocked by our leadership team. They said it without hesitation. It wasn't even in my mind that that was a possibility. And they just said, let's go for it. And so... We hired them both and they're sitting in my office and we're talking and dreaming and thinking together. And I just, I had this moment where I, they're probably looking at me like I was crazy, but I got, I kind of teared up and I was emotional and I just was saying, thank you God for honoring the risks that we're willing to take. And 
thank you for doing your work in spite of us. And I was just so glad for those two sitting in my office, saying the right things, longing to reach lost young people for Jesus and going, oh, this is, this is going to be such a fun journey with them. Uh, so anyway, that's, you know, risk is worth it. And if, you know, if we're going to revitalize and renew the local church, established congregations, whether it's denominational or, you know, even our non-denoms now are getting to be where they're established for years and years and need to change. You got to risk, you got to be bold and, um, it's hard, but it's good. Well, this is, uh, I mean, this has been such good stuff, Jesse. I mean, really. And, and I know that we'll get to talk even more, you know, it's like just scratching the surface, uh, about all the things that have happened in our churches and hopefully leaders out there will find this helpful. Again, you can go to the show notes. We'll link to some of the stuff that Jesse had talked about, some of the resources that we talked about on the show notes, which you could find on reclaimedleader.com. If you go click on the podcast section and scroll down, you'll see the show notes for each episode. This is episode four. And we're excited that next week we're going to talk with, uh, actually he's our worship leader here, our contemporary worship leader here at Tower Hills. Name's Dan Corboy. And he's going to talk about creating a worship team from scratch nice, and how to improve worship teams uh, that maybe already exist. And he had some very good strategy and philosophy that has led to... Now, we have a worship team of, of over 40 people that it. rotate in. The, the team actually isn't the same week to week. Yeah. And we involve uh, kids. We involve high, high schoolers mostly, um, all the way up to baby boomers. And it's been such an awesome, vibrant, truly multi-generational and very good part of what we're doing here. So I'm excited to talk to Dan and and really anybody who's thinking about launching or improving a contemporary service in a traditional church, this this is going to really help out a lot. You got to come and listen. Anyway, folks, uh, thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Reclaim Leader, helping you to lead change without losing your roots. And we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 